Welcome back, friends, to John Guest Remembers, the CCGF podcast chronicling the life and ministry of Pastor John Guest. If you are just now joining us, welcome. You can catch up with the rest of John Guest Remembers, both season one and two, and its parent podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our website. Head to ccgf.org slash podcast or wherever you find your podcast by searching for CCGF Talks. This week on the pod, Pastor John returns to the U.S. Upon arriving, he begins a year of work that changes the course of his life and his ministry. Thank you for joining us as John Guest remembers. Well, to arrive in the USA with my motorcycle, my books, and my few clothes on the Queen Mary in New York, having to get in would have been in the spring sometime of uh, 1966. Forgotten the name of the guy who came and picked me up, but he had come to faith in one of my previous visits and uh, he'd asked how he could help and he got this van and we got my motorcycle in the back of it and uh, my trunk with all my stuff in it and set out for Philadelphia. I was back in the house with Mrs. Neal on Carpenter Lane in Germantown, a suburb of Philadelphia and a set-up office. I remember getting some bricks and some planks of wood, putting my books out in a make-do, makeshift library. I realized that motorcycling in the USA was very dangerous, so I sold my motorcycle pretty quickly. wasn't too long after that that I, along with Tom Frierson, went out. He picked up uh, an advertisement for an old Chevy 2. I don't know what year it was, but it was already uh, well used. We purchased it as a vehicle for me to get around with, my own vehicle. He had made arrangements with some friends for me to be employed by Scripture Union. That was an English-based organization originally, and as the uh, over 100 years old or so, and had spread around what was the Commonwealth nations of the British Empire. So that would be Australia, New Zealand, the countries in Africa, Canada, especially Canada, and now was getting planted in the USA. Scripture Union is an organization that encourages uh, systematic Bible reading with some kind of devotional commentary that encourages inductive learning of the scriptures, that is, asking questions, thinking through the teaching and what it means theologically and what it implies for you daily with your living. But I was also to be an evangelist to young people. So I have my calendar for 1967, which is quite extraordinary. It's absolutely piled up with performances, coffee houses, preaching, speaking engagements. But that became my life. And what really set uh, that big time in motion, the year of 66, the year end of 66, 67, I believe that was it. There was a InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Conference in Illinois. It was known as the Urbana Missionary Conference, Missions Conference, and uh, gathered thousands of American students primarily, Canadian students as well at the University of Illinois in Urbana, and they had a huge arena there, wonderful dome, in which you could gather thousands, 10,000 up to 15,000 maybe people. 
and uh, we were asked to perform Jonathan and Charles, that we were asked to perform and sing there. And that was because of the connection primarily with uh, Scripture Union and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Their roots go back to England, and both the Bible reading and the missionary enterprise of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Now, as I mentioned, Jonathan and Charles, uh, that demands some background information. As I was traveling around, playing guitar, singing, speaking to young people, doing kind of mini missions in churches. So in Roanoke, Virginia, I was asked by one church to come and do a daily vacation Bible school where each day I would do a talk amongst all the other things that they were doing for their vacation Bible school. And uh, during the week, I was having dinner with a family by the name of Hess. Mr. and Mrs. Hess were having me to dinner, and they asked me to break out my guitar and play, which I did. And I played a couple of songs that I brought over from England, and they were about Jesus. We were using the guitar and music in England as a means of getting the gospel through to a younger generation that had really been captivated by the whole explosion of the popular music scene in England, the rock and roll scene in England, what became the British invasion here in the USA. In fact, it was in 1964 that the Beatles came and had their historic performance with the Ed Sullivan Show. And that was back in 64, and I had actually come on the heels of the Beatles, though I'm a nobody with a guitar. And what was controversial but becoming gradually more acceptable was the possibility of using the popular music sound of the day to communicate the gospel. That was so in England, and I think I was kind of introducing that here in the USA. Uh, I didn't know of anybody quite like what I was singing and doing, and neither did anybody else. So it was sort of controversial and a little radical, it seemed. So I played a couple of those songs with Mr. and Mrs. Hess. They immediately called up their son, Chuck, who was working at a, uh, some kind of a Kentucky Fried Chicken stand. They said to him, look, you need to come home right away and uh, we, uh, tell the boss you've got to go home. Your parents need you at home. So I've since talked with Chuck. He said, my dad actually told me to, to quit if I had to. Anyway, he came home, picked up his guitar, and we both started playing and singing together. It was quite remarkable. He was very, very gifted to pick up a melody and harmony and guitar. And by the end of the week, we did a mini concert together for the teenagers in that community. So he played some of his songs, I played some of mine, and some we worked out to play and sing together. Boy, that was like electrifying. Well, this was just John and Chuck, who we labeled as we became more and more of an item, Jonathan and Charles. His father and mother gave Chuck permission to quit school and come and travel with me. And so that fall, we were traveling around and uh, invited to play here and there. And uh, we were singing both popular music of Simon and Garfunkel or the Beatles, or other popular artists for the first half of our concert, and then the second half of whatever we did in a generally a small-time coffeehouse setting would be to sing some of the songs that we had written about the Lord and talk about the Lord. 
So here we were, uh, a, a performing duo. I was already theologically educated and ordained. He was a young man of university age, maybe 19 or 20. I was in my late 20s, and uh, we had a, an amazing impact. In fact, people began to ask us how to start a coffee house, how to uh, reach out to young people and create an atmosphere in which people could gather their friends and have an informal setting in which, like Jonathan and Charles, music could be performed that sung about the Lord, not singing hymns, contemporary sound, and blending that with secular music so that you really had an entrance into the thinking and the feeling and the lives of uh, young adults, teenagers. That led to an invitation to sing at this Urbana Missionary Conference. And so one night we stepped out onto the platform with about 10,000 students. They had amazing speakers like John Stott from England and Billy Graham as the concluding preacher to this 10 to 15,000 student gathering from all around the USA and Canada. And uh, we stepped onto the platform and I introduced us and said, this isn't merely for entertainment, but using music as a means of communicating the gospel. And I remember that first song we sang, Weary and Worn, I Was Moving On, It Seems There Was No Place For Me. Worn out and sad, things looked so bad. It seems that joy was not to be. But it had a kind of a melancholy Simon and Garfunkel harmony sound. And so we sang that song. When we finished, these 10,000 students went crazy, cheering and clapping. And uh, boy, that got everybody's attention. We had no idea. And here suddenly, out of nowhere, we've got this large audience acclaiming what it was we were singing and saying and the way we were doing it. Well, we got to play another song each evening, and for two or three evenings we did that as part of the conference. Then InterVarsity Christian Fellowship asked us, have we got enough material to create an album? So we said we had, well, we nearly had, and we wrote a couple more songs, and that became an album that was published that following year. So I believe that would be 1967. Immediately, we became quite an item throughout the whole of the Christian world was actually played and put together in such a way as it could be played on, on secular stations. And in those days, there was no contemporary Christian music or contemporary Christian music stations. It was actually spoken of in Billboard magazine, which I've got a clipping of, incidentally, uh, because that's like you've virtually made it when Billboard covers you. So that took us now around the USA doing concerts at universities, as well as high school gatherings and uh, conferences and weekends and wherever we had an audience. So Jonathan and Charles were out there sharing the gospel, and we would start off with uh, secular songs and uh, some of them Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel for sure. I remember our doing a uh, Sitting on a railway station, got a ticket for my destination. Ooh, ooh, homeward bound. Yes, I am homeward bound. And, uh, you know, we do Beatles like Nowhere Man. And I remember when we first sang Yesterday together, which uh, was in a coffee house setting in Wilmington, Delaware. So I said, here's a new song that's out on the market now or out in the airwaves. 
and I we just started plucking our guitar and then uh, came in with yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away. Anyway, uh, the girl started going woo, you know, like uh, that had just come out on the the sound wave, the the radio waves. Then we moved on to songs that we had written, uh, talking about Jesus and uh, how He loved us and died for us, and uh, and you know a new life that He came to bring, which we could uh, inherit through putting our faith in Him. The album that was published was called Another Week to Go, which was based on uh, our opening song on the album, and that covered uh, a Mrs. Chisholm who lived in Liverpool. Her son, Clinton, had been in my youth group, and he said, hey, you got to come round and meet the old girl, speaking in his Liverpudlian accent. So I went around the house and met Mrs. Chisholm, who was a formidable woman and uh, very impressive. And so we ended up writing a song about Mrs. Chisholm's weekend, which was really the story of her life. She got up to go to work, to earn money, to buy food in order to live, in order to get up, to go to work, etc. You know, the cycle of life without any real purpose other than just to exist. And that always raised questions with me in my pre-Christian days of why am I going to school? What's the purpose of all this? And uh, I suppose most adolescents begin their journey of one sort or another emotionally and psychologically and faith-wise by asking those questions as they become self-conscious, which I had done, self-aware and asking what's the purpose of my life and where is it all headed and is there any purpose or meaning to it? Uh, And I eventually discovered that in the Lord Jesus and then wanted to share that with others. That was always my desire. In fact, throughout all these various talks, whatever it is I'm talking about, the burning desire in my life has always been to share the gospel with people who don't know the Lord, whether they're churchgoers or not, or whether they're secular uh, folks or not, to see folks come to faith and take the Lord seriously. Because of my own conversion experience, I guess the Lord baptized me with that kind of a gift and longing to bring others to the Lord the way I had been brought to the Lord. And so I was seeking out every means, and I ended up, instead of looking like this straight Anglican minister from England, growing out my hair and getting into the bell-bottom jeans and Harry Krishna shirts and the, the beads around the neck, and that led on to one thing or another. If you are enjoying this podcast, let us know on our Facebook page. You can find more episodes of John Guest Remembers and Christ Church's other podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our webpage ccgf.org or wherever you find your podcast by searching for ccgf talks thank you for listening